and we use big fancy Latin words to talk about three of them, right? Words that start with the word omni, omnipresent, right? Which means God is present everywhere, right? Omniscient. God is all-knowing, right? Omnipotent. God is all-powerful, right? And as you hear those, some of those, those attributes of God, they, they can serve as a, an incredible comfort to us, right? The fact that God is omniscient, all-knowing, right? Means that God knows everything that's going on in our life, the things that are, are, are going on, even when, say, the doctors really aren't quite that sure. Right, that the fact that God is all-powerful means that as we talk to him and bring those things to him that are on our hearts, those, those burdens we have in life, the things that we're, we're worried about, we have a God who is powerful enough to answer every last one of our prayers. There's a, a flip side to that, though, isn't there? The fact that God is present everywhere means he's present everywhere. Right? And, and he sees what goes on behind our closed doors. He, he sees even into those dark parts of our life where we hope no one else ever is. But our God is. Right? The, the fact that God is omniscient means he not only has all the hairs on our head numbered, I'm just making it easier on him because he doesn't have to count as high, but it also means that he knows every last one of those thoughts that go on in our heads. The fact that God is all-powerful means he also has the power to judge us for all of our sinful thoughts and words and actions. Right? The, the very fact that we look at those attributes of God are both a comfort to us and also serve as a warning. And this morning, as we look at that account from the Gospel of Mark, we see Jesus watching. And as we see Jesus watching, we see him able to read people's hearts because he's omniscient, right? And the encouragement that he gives us is one that comforts and encourages us as we seek to be faithful caretakers and stewards and managers of all the blessings God has given to us especially as that's reflected in our offerings. We're, we're told in, 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 the, in the Gospel of Mark, Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings were put and watched the crowd putting their money into the temple treasury. Not exactly that subtle, is he? He sits down and he's watching as the people come to the temple and are giving their offerings. I suppose you could at one part argue the fact that Jesus doesn't have much sense of a person's privacy. Because when it comes to our offerings, we tend to be a little discreet, aren't we? We put them in nice offering envelopes. We, we put them in an offering plate. Nobody else really knows what we give. It's kind of a thing that we'd like to say is between us and God, and nobody else knows. Except, of course, if Jesus is sitting there, sitting and studying and, and watching and in fact, that's what the, the Greek word talks about there that, that Mark uses. It wasn't as though Jesus was just sort of sitting and, and casually watching. No, Jesus, as he entered the temple courts that day, went there on purpose. 
It wasn't as though Jesus, as he was walking around, just needed a breather, sat down on, on some stones and was going to just sit and catch his breath. No, Jesus, it says, sat down and he was watching and studying and noting not only what people were giving, but the attitude behind it, right? And, and what did we hear people were, were giving? Right? For everyone, uh, he said, rich people threw in large amounts, not surprising, I suppose, right? That people that God had richly blessed in, in that day were giving large offerings. In fact, that they echoed some of Jesus' words, right? He, Jesus said, from everyone who has been given much, much will be demanded. And from the one who has been entrusted with much, much more will be asked. But it seems those people who were giving large offerings weren't just doing it, putting their offering in and, and walking away, but more with a little bit of pomp and wanting people to notice. Perhaps at times they would come around again in order to say, look, I'm giving my second offering or I'm putting even more in the offering treasury. I suppose it would be like if during our offering you asked, after the, the, the offering plate had gone past, you you'd kind of raised your hand, got the usher to say, yeah, I'd like to put more in. If you could give me the offering plate again, Right? Jesus was able to see into their hearts, and even as they were giving rich offerings, he, he saw the attitude and the heart that was behind it. What's even more impressive, I think, is as you consider this, the fact that Jesus is sitting and, and watching people give their offerings is when he did it. It was Tuesday of Holy Week. Right? You, you think of all the things Jesus could be doing, but instead on Tuesday of Holy Week, just a few days before he, he, he goes to the cross, he's sitting and he's watching people give their offerings to God. He sits and he watches them give their offerings. And we can ask the question, of all the things that Jesus should have been doing, should he have been watching what people were giving? I, I suppose we could apply to ourselves then. Should Jesus watch what we do with our wealth? Should Jesus be watching our stewardship and offerings? I suppose if you and I were Jesus' personal advisors, we might advise him not to do that, especially on the Tuesday of Holy Week. Perhaps we might encourage him some of the other things he maybe should be watching out for, right? Perhaps watching for a place where, for he and his disciples to celebrate the, the, uh, the Passover that was coming up later that week. Perhaps we'd encourage him to be, to be watching his step because the Pharisees were out to trip him up and, and trying to embarrass him in front of all the people that were in Jerusalem for the Passover. Perhaps as his personal advisors, we'd, we'd encourage Jesus to watch his back. Because one of his own disciples was already plotting to betray him. I'm not sure our first thought would be, Lord, you should be sitting down and watching people give their offerings. But he does. He sees those who are coming through, and then he, he notes to his disciples and points out a poor widow who walks through, right? And in, into the temple treasury, she puts two small copper coins. From just a glance at what Jesus was seeing, there wasn't anything surprising about it. Until Jesus talks to his disciples a bit, right? 
And listen to what he says. A poor widow came, put in two small, very copper coins worth only a few cents. Calling his disciples to him, Jesus said, I tell you the truth, this poor widow has put, in, put, has put more into the treasury than all the others. Of all the people giving their offerings that morning or that day, this was the one to whom Jesus took notice and pointed out to his disciples. And when he told them, she's given more, you can imagine the disciples scratching their heads a little bit and going, I saw her put two small copper coins worth less than a penny into the temple treasury. And three people before him, they were giving huge offerings. I don't get this. Right? And Jesus says, she's put more into the treasury than all the others because they all gave out of their wealth. But she, out of her poverty, put in everything. All she had to give on. As Jesus was watching all of Jerusalem's givers, right, he noted that those who were giving thousands were giving thousands because they had thousands to give. And even after they gave thousands, they still had thousands left, right? I suppose you could say, if, if you're thinking in desserts, right, they, they didn't just give a piece of the cake, they gave some frosting, but they still had cake and extra frosting left over. And then he looks at the widow Right? And it says, this, 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 this lady has put in all she has. She has no cake left after this. Why would she do that? You think of all the pious excuses. If, if you and I were going to serve as her personal advisor, all the things that we might say, might say as she's about to give an offering to the Lord, Right? You don't have to do that. Right here. In fact, I'll give you two more coins so that you can go get yourself some cake and a cup of coffee. You don't have to give that. You don't have anything left. And yet, what was that woman demonstrating? As she took those last two coins that she had in her pocket and put it in the treasury. She was demonstrating a trust in God's promises. God had promised that God was going to take care of her. That, she would, that, that God was going to provide for her daily needs. And so as she gives an offering to her God, she is putting an absolute trust in those promises that God had given to her. And as Jesus watches, he sees the heart from which it was given, and he points it out to his disciples as here's an example of a woman trusting in the promises of God and giving a rich offering to her Lord, even though it was just a few small copper coins. I suppose as you and I take the opportunity to evaluate how richly God has blessed us, and in doing so, evaluate how we return a portion of those blessings to our God, it gives us a chance to, well, to think about her offering a bit. Because really, as, as you think about it, when God gives us promises, especially as, they re, uh, re, uh, especially as they refer to our wealth, what does God want most of all? 
our heart, right? What he wants most of all is a heart that trusts in him and the promises he has given to us. And really, if you would ask that question, do you trust God? It's either a yes or no answer. There is no middle ground in between there. So that then as we look at the blessings God has given to us, perhaps it gives us a, a moment's pause when we look and we give thousands of dollars to companies called Fidelity and Vanguard and Charles Schwab. And we do so because why? We trust that they are going to make us more money, right? Even though, as you look at their materials, what will they tell you? Past performance is not a guarantee of future outcomes, right? You, tr you give them thousands of dollars in money with the hope that they are going to make you more money. And you have a God who has promised you that he will take care of your every need. Right? You, you look at the woman who gave those, that, that offering. And on the one hand, you marvel at her, her faith, right? And at the same time, it convicts us a bit, doesn't it? Because I don't always have that trust in my God. I feel much more secure if I'm able to look at our checking account or our savings account or our retirement account and go, okay, there's money here, I can see, and okay, I'm good, Right? Instead of simply trusting, God's promised he's going to take care of me. This is the God who's given me everything. And because of that insecurity, that lack of faith I have in my heart, it begins to show itself now even in my offerings. Because I'm afraid that if I give an offering, and a generous offering at that, what am I going to have less of? what I need to take care of myself. And in doing so, demonstrates a lack of trust in God that God is going to take care of me. This is a, the one who's encouraging us in this. Ultimately, is the God who's given us everything, isn't it? We heard, or, or we hear in, in Paul's letter to the, to the Corinthians, right? How God became poor, so that you and I could become rich? A God who, who stepped down from his throne in heaven where he had all power and all glory and all knowledge and was all-knowing? So that he could take on human flesh and set aside the use of those attributes for a time so that he could die for every last one of our sins. A, a God who gave up and became poor so that he could assure you not only is your sin forgiven, but what I give you is something that lasts into, into an eternity. A God who, who loves you and, and forgives you and now gives you eternal life. And on top of that now, gives you blessing upon blessing and a promise that he'll take care of you. Which means as we think about how we are a faithful steward of the blessings God has given to us, 
we can look at this widow and the, the small but large offering she gave and understand where Jesus and what Jesus is teaching his disciples. Jesus isn't teaching his disciples that the next time you have a chance to give an offering to God, you have to clean out your account and give it all to church. That's not what he's saying, is it? He's looking at the heart of the woman. He, he looks at the heart of the woman and he sees a widow who, despite her poverty, had a complete trust in God and the promises he had given to her. And it's that trust in God that motivated her to give a small but generous offering as she returned a portion of what God had given to her back to him. As you and I, as children of God, see what our God has done for us, how he's forgiven us, how he, he, he gives us eternal life, as he blesses us each and every day, we see that love of God and what it does is it motivates and encourages us to trust in our God the same way this woman did. And as we trust in God and his promises, guess what follows? Generous offerings. Offerings that reflect the fact that I'm not trusting in dollars and cents or possessions or anything else to provide me with security in life, but a faith that trusts in God to take care of all of my needs. And because of that, even as I give some of those blessings back to my Lord, I'm still rich. Amen. Our Savior Lutheran Church is located on the south side of Birmingham off Highway 280. We are on Dunnett Valley Road, about three quarters of a mile east of Treetop Family Adventure and Sports Blast. Our Sunday services begin at 1015 with Sunday School and Bible Class at 9 o'clock. We welcome visitors and hope to see you soon. For more information, please visit our website at OurSaviorBirmingham.com. Click on Sermons at the top of the page for a copy of today's service folder. You can also find us online on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram.